This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin and Eric Giacometti tonight talking Red Bulls. The Red Bulls get a gritty, gutty shutdown of Kay Kamara win a 2-1 home win that lifts the team all alone in first place in Major League Soccer with four matches to play. We'll go inside the 2-1 win at Red Bull Arena. We'll prepare for Wednesday night's match with the Montreal Impact, who have been red hot of late trying to make the playoffs themselves. We're going to talk to longtime director of communication and Spanish language broadcaster Ernesto Mata about his views of the team and uh, 20 years of history following the team. We're going to talk to Olivier Tremblay up in Montreal about what we can expect from the Impact, and we have some emails too. All that tonight on a supersized and very high-quality episode of Seeing Red. Eric, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back on. It's uh, good to be back. Well, it's, it's definitely a pleasure to have you. So New York uh, manages a clown shoes, uh, goalkeeping finger, Darian, Damian Perrinel, awful own goal header early. Once again, they put their heads down and they go to work. And uh, after 20 minutes, New York had the lead. They wouldn't relinquish. What would you take away from the match on Saturday night? Yeah, not for the first time. I feel like I'm constantly writing up my gamers where the Red Bulls concede and then right away they respond. So they're making a bit of a habit of it. Sasha Kleschen pointed out that he wishes they would stop giving up those early goals. But, (laughs) you know, maybe that's uh, something to look at the film room. But overall, uh, a big three points against uh, a Columbus team that was charging up the standings, uh, creating a little bit of separation in the East. That's looking more and more like the East is theirs. Uh, you know, overall, it's a bold statement. Uh, I, I I feel pretty confident in saying so. I mean, with the games they have in hand, a uh, couple home games left, the, I, I really do think it's it's theirs to lose at this point. Uh, you know, maybe not their best game against Columbus, but overall, they they did enough to to get it done. They got the two quick goals in the first half, and that that kind of calmed some nerves. So three points, that'll do. And tremendous play, not only from Connor Laid, who made the MLS uh, Best 11 for the week, uh, struggled a little bit early moments, and then stepped up in a big, big way. Mike Grella working the high press on Steve Clark to wonderful effect. Clark, frankly, uh, is culpable on both of those goals that he conceded, really suffering the high press. Um, Connor Laid, as I said, pushing up. Uh, beautiful cross into Bradley for the second goal. Question as well, the wonderful square pass to Sam for the first goal. And then tons and tons of credit to Ronald Zubar, who played easily for me his best match in a Red Bull uniform. I mean, Kay Kamara comes in 22 goals on the season, and he is permitted only a single shot on goal, three shots all game long, and Zubar looked uh, masterful in handling Kamara. Yeah, I saw a lot of consternation surrounding the inclusion of Zubar, because you know that was one of the, the big storylines coming out of this week with Miazga being away on Olympic duty. A lot of people saying, this is it, you know, our best defender's out. We're bringing in a guy who has really had very limited action, uh, but he proved his worth in a big way. This is a guy a lot of people forget because we've seen so little of him, but he was brought in to, to really be the replacement for Hamas and Olave as that rock That's in right. defense. And I think he proved in spades just how important he is. Uh, I asked him earlier in the week about how he felt about matching up with Kai Kamara, who few teams in MLS have you know, figured out how to stop him. 
and he mentioned that he really enjoys those battles, those physical battles against you know big strong number nines, and he did a, a masterful job and was able to you know he really didn't have too many sniffs of goals. So overall, shutting down the MLS leading goal scorer, you can't can't ask for much more than that. For sure, and Luis Robles, yet another save late in the game um, on a blistering shot from Columbus, is up for save of the week. He does this with sub-regularity, and now with a win on Wednesday against Montreal, will tie Tony Miola for most ever league wins um, in club history, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, Before we move on to Montreal, any last thoughts? And uh, if not, let's go to Bowling Cow. Yeah, no. Overall, just a, a, a very solid win uh, from the Red Bulls. I mean, like I said, not the prettiest game, but you know, a game where they they did enough to get the job done and you know keep on pushing up the table. Now they just got to get ready for a midweek game. Right. So your bull for New York and Columbus. A couple choices for me, but uh, I'll go with maybe the easy answer because he was in the team of the week, and it's it's Connor Lee for me. Uh, the way that he stepped in. You know, he's been asked you know, to play in spot starts here or there. Then when Duval goes down, he takes over the right-back spot. You know, gets a little grief for some bad play, which admittedly he has had throughout, you know, throughout the season. But going back to left-back, where he really broke through in 2012, his rookie season, uh, he, was, he did a masterful job. He created both of those goals, in, in essence, with, with the high press, a beautiful service to Bradley on the second goal. And he shut down Ethan Finley and you know, forced, forced them uh, to sub him off, you know, middle of the second half, so did a good job going forward, did a good job defensively, so he's my bull. Yeah, and Finley, of course, had dropped both goals on the Red Bulls during their July match. Um, a close second for me is Ronald Zubar. I agree, uh, laid for sure. I thought Zubar, again, was absolutely masterful in this match. Very, very key. Uh, it's really the first time that, for me, that he's kind of stepped in and dominated a position um, in his relatively few appearances for New York. And uh, a cow, sir. Cow's tough. I mean, you, you could say maybe Damien Perrinell for that little gaffe, but I'll give him the benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt because that's a tough one when you're you're trying to defend for your life. So I'll go off the book here a little bit and give it to Steve Clark because if you, if you <laughs> if you look at those two goals, I mean they're almost a hundred percent on his shoulders with those two poor giveaways. So you really I hate to say it, but he cost his team uh, a result uh, on Saturday. So he's my cow. You're breaking the Dickinson rule. You know. I know. Sorry, Dan. All right, I'm going to give mine uh, to Perinel. That'd be second straight for me. Um, you could sense the frustration on Robles, and yes, I agree. They, they were emergency defending, but that's two straight weeks that a ball has gone into the net directly off of the body of Damian Perinel, and um, it's tough, as you said, because he has been so, so important to the team. He picked up another yellow card. I think that's 11 on the season, although he's not currently scheduled for a suspension anytime soon. Felipe, actually, on his next yellow card will we'll miss a match, but not Perinel. So, New Armando. Uh, Excuse me. New Armando. He's yes, he is the new Armando in a slightly different home tongue. Um, Paranel, Steve Clark, our cows to you. So Wednesday night at Red Bull Arena, the New York Red Bulls will host the Montreal Impact for the first and only time this year. The two teams played to a one-one draw in August up in Montreal. Uh, the Impact are currently just above. The red line in the east, 42 points from 30 matches for Montreal, only a plus two, 43 scored, 41 allowed. They're sixth in the east, and they're 13th in MLS. They lost for the first time in a month last time out in September, a late 
uh, injury time winner for Seb Hines at Orlando City, um, made it a 2-1 loss. Uh, in the previous matches, Montreal had beaten D.C. United at home 2-0, Chicago 2-1, and put a whooping on New England 3-0 on September 19th. All those matches at home. Before that, they had a draw uh, out in San Jose and a draw uh, at L.A., which is a massive, massive achievement given L.A.'s home form. Uh, Montreal is an atrocious road team. They are the worst road team in MLS, with only 10 road points all season. Two wins away from Montreal this season. Uh, they've only scored 13 goals in 14 road matches this year, uh, and they've conceded 25. So they are not a strong road team, to say the least. Uh, Evan Bush has done moderately well for this team, a 1.33 goals against with seven shutouts on the season to Robles' nine. Uh, Bush was instrumental in Montreal's run to the CONCACAF Champions League final series, where they came up just a bit short. But obviously, when you're talking about Montreal, you, the, the conversation starts and nearly ends with legendary Chelsea striker Didier Drogba, who joined the league in the offseason. In seven games uh, with the impact, all Drogba has done is scored seven goals. He has a hat-trick on Chicago and another goal against Chicago, a brace against D.C., and a goal against the Revs in that 3-0 win. And um, Olivier Tremblay, who's going to speak to us a little bit later, is uh, will tell you all about how... Drogba really makes the counter, which New York has had such a hard time with, uh, click and make even more effective for uh, for the impact. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be a beautiful night, and a Wednesday night's going to be a very light crowd. As we know, Friday nights at seven are are are, are hard enough for, to get folks to the arena. A Wednesday night, a school night, uh, makes it even more challenging. So curious, Eric, what you uh, what you want to hear, what you expect to see on Wednesday night at Red Bull Arena. I think this is going to be a, a tougher win than, than maybe some fans think. I actually see, if you look at the makeup of their team, it's a little bit similar to Columbus. Maybe not their style of play, but they both have tricky wingers. They both have Argentine number 10s that can you know, make that killer pass. They both have very strong number 9s that can score with ease. So I think the Red Bulls are going to have, they're going to run into some of the same problems that they did with Columbus. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think the Red Bulls will have just enough on the night. Uh, I, I see this one as uh, 2-1 for the Red Bulls. I think they'll, they'll get the job done. I know Drogba's been rested, so they're, they're prepping him for this game. But uh, I just think the Red Bulls will get it done at home. Uh, Zubar and Parnell uh, will shut it down and, and get the result. Of course, Kamar Lawrence has uh, indication that he may be back with the team. Uh, there was one report that said that uh, Lawrence, I don't know if this has been confirmed, Eric, maybe you can tell me, uh, celebrated the birth of his first child, and uh, that's why he missed Saturday night's game. But nevertheless, he is back with the team and is a possibility to play. Um, we didn't talk about Sal Zizo when we talked about the Columbus game. I thought Zizo in a in a... Uh, substitutes role did very very well at right back, shifting Connor Laid over to the left, uh, where he was really really effective. I think uh, should Lawrence start, obviously Laid goes back to the right. Yeah, I mean Drogba is the kind of guy who, frankly, can completely change a game. Not not unlike Kei Kamara, and the Red Bulls were able to handle him as well. I think it's also going to be, uh, not even to be different, but I think it's going to be a 2-1 win for New York. I think New York in the midfield is going to have just enough. When Drogba plays, Montreal shifts to a 4-1-4-1. 
So you're going to have numbers there. You have to think that Paranel, obviously, as well as Zubar, are going to be keyed in, trying to clog up Drogba and make him go. Where Drogba is most effective is slashing runs from the wing. And so, obviously, both Laid and, and Kamar Lawrence are going to have to be on their absolute best behavior. But uh, up top, I think New York's clicking. Great to see Bradley. Um, score for the first time in four games, and hopefully that'll give him the confidence. Any other thoughts on Montreal? No, I mean, I, th- I just think it's... I really think it's going to be a tougher game than some people think. I know you mentioned uh, their atrocious road form, but anything can happen in MLS, and, you know, oftentimes... And it usually does. Happen. So I really think this is going to be a, a certain test for the Red Bulls, but I think they'll be up for it. It's one of, This is one of those... Uh, you, know, you can certainly call it a trap match, I'll say it, and just because I say the facts doesn't mean it's it's anything, but New York has never lost to Montreal. Quote him on that one. It, it's just a fact. In MLS history, New York, a perfect 4-0 and against the impact in league play in their Montreal's short time in the league. There was that CONCACAF Champions League draw and last October that was the last group stage game that meant absolutely nothing to either team as the impact has already uh, had already punched their ticket. So uh, when we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to talk to Ernesto Mana and then Olivier Tremblay. We've got more Seeing Red coming up just after this short break. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti with me tonight. And first of our guests tonight, first of our two guests in a supersized Seeing Red, long-time communications director for the Metro Stars and Red Bulls, 16 years in his role, Spanish-language radio broadcaster, broadcaster with MSG, and can currently be heard calling Red Bulls games on the New York Red Bulls streaming radio station en Espanol. It's Ernesto Mata, his first time on Seeing Red. How are you tonight, Ernesto? Oh, first, I want to thank you. I was uh, really surprised, a glad surprise to invite me. And I guess I'm super happy. I got all the respect for you and the support of the team. And also, you know, it's amazing to talk a good moment what's going on right now with New York Red Bulls. Excellent. Well, let's start here. Um, New York obviously had one of their worst performances of the year to Orlando at home, and then they gave up the first goal Saturday at Columbus, and were not <laughs> not very happy about it. But they fought back, and they got a crucial victory. What does that result stay about this coaching staff and how they've been working with the team? Well, Mark, I think you say a lot, and I'm glad you're asking that question because it's lacking a lot, a lot to say about the coaching staff. Um, imagine if you clinch the playoff in Portland, uh, you're coming back home to continue to celebrate and, and be on a good track, and everything possible you can imagine in that game went wrong. We controlled the ball in the first 20 minutes, and after that, you know, everything went wrong. Uh, really badly when you see Niazda, who is the coach, and everything finished with a completely disaster fight to a numbers, but not really on the field. I think it just impressed me when we put that game against Columbus because I believe he do an excellent job on the week. Uh, I hear for another colleagues who I call every week to find out what's going on in practice and, and try to get an insight from them. And I think it just it was clear last week before the Columbus game that can happen again. There's uh, you have to be focused on the field. Uh, 
And I'm going to give you all the credit to the coaching staff. Uh, it's easy to criticize outside when we lose, when we tie, when we play in bed and say, wow, the coaching staff got no clue. I think it was extremely uh, and extremely impressed about the coaching staff. And, and I think we continue to be impressed by them. Uh, I just want to point one thing. When Red Bulls acquired Gonzalo Verón, $2.5 million, you're going to say he will start. Right. It's not, it's not happening, Mark, with, with Desi. They keep on the bench. He tried to have 11 starters, and everybody else has to gain the right to be at the field, which really, really, you have to get a, a, a high a high respect from everybody in that decision. I don't know if you agree with me, but I think it, it makes a strong signal that you want to be at the field, you have to deserve it. I don't care about the 2.5 millions. I don't care who you are. But right now, this is the team to take me to clinch the playoff and go for the supporter shield and also for the MLS Cup. I think that the coaching staff is so focused on guidance. What is the goal for this season, which is really impressive. Ernesto, you touched on it a little bit there with uh, the Red Bulls in the race for the supporter shield right now at the top of MLS with uh, destiny in their own hands. How important is it for this team to bring the, the shield back to Harrison for the second time in three years, or is MLS Cup the more important one that that debate always rages on? Mark, maybe what I'm going to say is going to upset some fans, but you have to listen to me really careful. Uh, of course, I want to win everything. And 20 years, looking at this team, um, every single end of the season says it's going to be next year, next year. Of course, fans deserve this and more. They deserve the U.S. Open Cup. They deserve the supporter shield. And of course, finally, they deserve an MLS Cup. Um, sometimes they say, oh, Mestos, you want to be happy with the MLS Cup after many years. It's not me. It's about you guys. It's about the people. They still believe in, go to the stadium, and support the team after 20 years. It's not easy. We're not talking one, two, three, four years. We're talking about 20 years. <laughs> but you follow me, Mark? It's like... We celebrate the supporter shield. We might make it. Beautiful. Everybody should rap, happy, drink on the team. Absolutely everything. But what's happened on the end? The first round, we out. Right. And the good moments come out. Good moments is not about winning something. It's not good to them. To me, the end is MLS Cup. I'll be honest with you, I can't care less about the supporter shield right now. Mm. If that's going to take it away, our main objective, which is MLS Cup. And I think everybody agrees because the MLS Cup is not for the team because Martins, Felipe Martins, it can be Luis Robley, it can be a couple of years. But you guys have been there for 20 years. We won that cup. And I don't, I don't blame the clinch of the playoffs, take it out of the focal loose with Orlando. But if that means the team get distracted to celebrate and offer to the fans the, the second supporter shield, I can put on the side. I know it's nice to be in a spot in CONCACAF. I know it's great to win everything you can, but I don't want to risk that if that will be no achieve the main goal, which is the MLS Cup. I hope we win the, the supporter shield. I hope we win in the MLS Cup, but it's only this team near a cup. And I think that we are close. Not because we are the best team. We got Galaxy. We got another team playing well, but I think it. The objective is clear for the coaching staff, for Jesse, for Mother Grandpa, to deliver the final to the loyal fans of Metro Star New York Red Bull, which has been earning to show up, cheer up, support the team. 
And, and that's what it is. My goal, I want to, I'm a soccer person. I born in Argentina and I got a soccer in my veins. I want the cup. And the supporter shield, welcome too. But that's what I dream in every single week. When is going to be the day? You, Mark, me, all the fans, everybody support the team. We have the cups in our hands. That, that's my goal. I think it, it's a clear message. My, I say I don't want it, but, you know, you understand what I mean? It's, it's a Absolutely. Bad, yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, let's talk about Saturday night. Obviously, a lot of very strong performances. Who impressed you uh, the most playing against Columbus and getting the win at home? Well, maybe somebody's going to say, honest, I've been drinking, but <laughs> yeah, I know they, they do all the time. They say, this guy knows everything. I'm, I don't know absolutely nothing. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Mark. Um, I won so early with you and everybody else in 20 years, season tickets holders won. It's been a winning thing, not just one year. Keeping change the direction of this team forever. We, I don't want to compare that this United, Galaxy, but I think it, we are turning the wheel right now. And, and I got a lot of faith. Jesse's a young coach, you know, coach Montreal. it be with the national team a little bit, but it's a young coach. I, I think what I see at the local room is something I never saw at many years of director of communications on the team. There's no more Harris. There's no more Lothar Mateos. There's no more Roberto Zonadoni. There's no more that can be started coming with some privilege. Right now, I think it's a communion of all the players with one objective, you know, it's, it's get with a team deserve it, or the fans deserve it for many years. To me, you're going to say, you're going to tell him what is the beta player that impress you? It's Rich Robles. They say Ernesto. And, you know, remember the first goal, Columbus Crew, what's happened there? But you remember after the two saves Luis Robles did, he had to come back. Goalkeeper who pretty much escaped that ball from the hands and put Columbus one nothing come out in the second half with two brilliant saves. I think it has impressed me how focused is Luis, how important is Luis for the team. And we have to remember what he did in Portland, too, also. That's me. That's really impressed how focused are the players, how focused are to to achieve the goal we want. And, and Luis Robles really impressed me because when you score that goal, they say, here we go again. Orlando, memories come back. No, right, Luis right. is focused, Luis come back. He he be pretty sure in every ball he goes together in the, in the area. And, and, and that really impressed me with Luis because I'll be honest with you, he made two saves in the second half. That game can be a tie and we don't get back. We, we got the three points. We got the fans happy. We got the team motivated for this important game tomorrow, which is going to be really hard. You know, Montreal won B in the playoff, and I think it has, that's what it is. My Bruce Roberts really impressed me. Ernesto, a bit of news came out today uh, involving the Mexican national team that former Red Bulls coach, former Chicago coach uh, Juan Carlos Osorio is taking over for the Mexican national team. Do you uh, have any stories from his time with the Red Bulls that you'd like to share? Well, I got many. I got the privilege to work with Juan Carlos when he was the assistant for Metro Star uh, with Octavio Zambrano. And also I got the pleasure to work with Red Bull when he's still director of communication of the team. And he changed a little bit from the Metro Star era to the Red Bull era. Because remember, he coming from the European, from the English soccer, and come back and take a little bit and that kind of mentality to be focused on the players, 
And I think he's going to be struggling in Mexico. Uh, first for the media. And, and I remember when we take our charter to go to Emily's Cup 2008, everybody remember that. Red Bull put a charter for us, and we get to the plane. And coach on the bus, when we get into the airport, they say, guys, relax on the flight. You know, we know what we have to do. And we get into the plane, and only the, the team, exclusive us. And they got on the back of the plane. It was a charter, 737. And he started to display all plans and tactics. We start calling every single player. After he, after he finished with that, I go myself to the back of the plane and say, Juan Carlos, this is really, you say, some way to relax. No, Mr. I want to make sure everybody understands the rules. This is six hours fly. It's really good time to do it. And, and the funny part, I say, once you're concerned, Barros Esqueloto, you remember, he's what yep. assisting you know, the three goals that night. He's worried about it, and Juan Carlos say, this is not about Esqueloto. It's, it's about the team. They say, you sure? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I remember today, I say, yeah, coach, you should know better. I say, I'm going to trust me, but I don't worry about Esqueloto. I worry about the Columbus group. So sure. Mm. When we're ready to land, we landed a leg after we have to do a scale for refuel the plane. We got a strong winds, and the, the plane have to do a moon plan and refuel. And when I'm most ready to to, to take off, of, you know, to leave the plane, he come to me and say, you know, Mister, good talk. I say, I think Escalotus can be something to worry about. I say, you know, coach. And when we back on the charter, they say, oh, Mister, that's your fault. You bring it out to me, and we laughing like I say, you know, we lost the cup, we come to champion. But I think. It, that conversation in that plane, it was such an atmosphere going to LA and come back the sadness of you know losing our first chance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Juan Carlos was really, really. Uh, I never see him so deeply hurt to lose yeah. that opportunity, and that's something I keep in my memory because it was two different planes in two different situations. Going there, everybody, it was absolutely uh, an amazing. Airplane ride, you know, that is a pedal coming from nothing to be the start of right. the team. Uh, you know, Vandenberg, which is giving the heart, you know, that, that, that guy, Juan Pablo Angel, you know, Wallinier. I don't know, I remember a few of the guys right now on the top of my head, but that was funny because, you know, uh, unfortunately for us, he gave involved in the three goals and it's something we, we're talking about the playing. This is something they say, wow, you, I feel bad. You bring it up that he knows, but, I think Juan Carlos is going to be struggling in Mexico right now with the media. Um, really, I wish you all the luck because he's, he's, he's really a, a, an excellent person and excellent professional, but I'll be honest with you, it's, it's going to be hard for him in Mexico. For sure. Um, Ernesto, just one more question before we let you go. This has been terrific. Um, where does this team stack up? with 20 years of Metro Stars and Red Bulls teams? I mean, obviously, as you had said earlier, it's a team without the big names, a team without multimillionaires, a team without global stars, but it's a team that also clinched the playoffs, I think, before any other team ever had, and in, uh, in certainly in New York history. I know the end of the story has yet to be written, but um, as we come down the stretch, wh where does this team rank for you? Well, that's a hard question. Uh, we got only one team make it to the end of the street, and we almost made it. Uh, 
But I think, it, like you say, is the history is not right. And I think with the team, without Henry Henry, without Cahill, without uh, Rafa Marquez, the worst hiding in the history of the team. Um, I, I think right now, I'm going to give me the benefit of how they can head in there to be, we finally um, will be one of the best teams uh, on the history of the 20 years of the franchise. And you told me why, Ernest, you say that, because maybe we're going to make it. I think we start the secret zone shaking, right? Becky, everybody loves the fans against Jesse, against Marvel Grand Prix. Um, and a little bit of the time, we got a great captain with Gray McCarthy and a bunch of guys that, you know, I think they really want to do this together. And I never see that in the local room in many years with the team. Always, you got some privilege, you got some players, you got guys like Lothar Mateos with do whatever he wanted, and on the end, you got kids that make it fifty, sixty thousand dollars to try to make it his future in soccer. I think I don't see down the locker room. That's something we're missing. And I witness. I got a lot of friends in DC United in '96, '97. Marco Cherberry, Jaime Moreno. That team was really unified in the locker room, and that's what I see right now with Red Bulls. I'll be honest with you, Mark. They got. They deserve a lot of recognition. The 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 humility. The, 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 when you walk into, into the local room, I feel all the time, something I never feel in many years. And that's why I just go say hi and leave and I want to get involved because that impression is, trust me, and I've been seeing a lot inside the team, uh, I never feel before. And I think it's a lot of credit, again, for the coaching staff, and a lot of credit for the own individual, they say, we have to do this together. No, because you got a big name. No, because you come from Argentina. I don't care where you're coming from, but we have to do it together. <laughs> you know, Mark, that's something important. I think that's what we need. And I think this coaching staff, Rida, uh, keep their own on the bench, even if he worth $20 million, and try <laughs> to give you the status, the confidence they need. They say, look, you are my 11. Okay, we can touch a little bit here, over there, but you know what? Do what you're doing to do well. And I think it's, it's a lot of recognition to that kind of guidance the coach gave it to the team to achieve what we need. I hope we got the support shield tomorrow's a big game, drop us on every day. It's a hard guy to catch, but no matter about tomorrow, I don't care. I what I keep in focus is keeping tuning the team for that playoff games. If we got the support shield on the way, welcome. We put it on. But if you know, that's what the team have to wear. No matter if you lost one nothing, we tie tomorrow, we win tomorrow. Win is better than lost. But I don't care. I'm not going to lose my sleep tonight if we have one nothing against. What we have to worry, we have to keep it doing, is keeping focus on the playoffs to try to do the games we need to make everybody happy and see in December a big communion of fans at a Red Bull Arena and try the game where you guys, not me, no Mother Grandpa, no nobody else, the fans deserve for so many years. Ernesto Mata can be heard calling every New York Red Bulls game in Spanish at NewYorkRedBulls.com on streaming radio. Ernesto, this has been so great. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really enjoyed it. No, I want to thank you for your passion, for your commitment after 20 years. And not you, all the fans, because I say in Spanish in every single broadcast, they are the heart of the team. Without you guys, we can bring Messi, we can bring Cristiano Ronaldo, but without you, the team is empty. It means absolutely nothing. 
have a team without the heart of the fans we got in New York. And, and I really mean it. Thanks for the opportunity. And, and again, it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much, Ernesto. We're back with more Seeing Red after this quick break. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mark Fishkin, Eric Giacometti. We've gone from Inglés and Espanol to Francais with our friend Olivier Tremblay, who covers the Montreal Impact for MLSsoccer.com. How are you tonight, sir? Gentlemen, I'm doing very well. How are you doing? We are doing great. Big match tomorrow. Very exciting. Uh, Drogba's first visit to New York and Montreal's first visit to New York this year. I want to start, though, with Ignacio Piatti and his status because he's really the one that scares me the most. I know he's coming back from injury. Where is he right now? Uh, well, uh, he is not actually coming back from injury. His dad is coming back from an illness. Uh, he went, oh, I'm sorry. He, he, went, back, he went back to, uh, to Argentina for 10 days. Uh, very much of a family guy, Piatti. Uh, remember when he scored at the Azteca in the Champions League final, he lifted his shirt to reveal uh, an inscription that said, uh, I love you, Grandpa, because his grandfather has just, had just died. So now Piatti's dad is doing better. He went... Uh, he went back to Montreal on Monday and apparently left with the team uh, to go to New York. So I, I mean, if I'm if I'm Mauro Biello, I don't start him because he didn't train with the team for ten days. But probably you can expect him to come in maybe as a sub. Olivier, you look at the the Red Bulls team this year, and perhaps their biggest weakness has been their vulnerability in the counter. We've seen it time again against the likes of you know Philly and New England, where teams, and most recently against Orlando, where they hit them for five, and it seemed like the counter was the issue every time. Uh, what is What does the impact offer in, in that way, especially with the speed they have with uh, someone like Dom Oduro? Well, that's an interesting question, because Montreal's uh, way of working for... A lot of their MLS existence was the counter. That was their bread and butter. That's how they uh, scored. I mean, I don't have a percentage in front of me, but most, <laughs> really most of their goals. Drogba brought much of a new dynamic to, to the table. And in a certain way, you could see Frank Lopez's team, as it was earlier this season, play, almost trying to play as if DJ Drogba was there but, you know, to no avail. It was not working. But once DJ Drago came in, you could see crosses actually being something very dangerous, whereas, you know, teams could drop very deep and deny Montreal any opportunities really close to goal. And as you could see, you know, DC United came to Montreal and shot once and got a 1 0 <laughs> result out of it, despite Montreal shooting 25 times. So Drogba brings that new dynamic where he can allow the block to actually come back from its own area and, 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 yeah, give them more options. But on, on the flanks, they still have those pacey guys that can, uh, that can make it difficult for, for a New York team that, as you said, you know, they, they can be vulnerable to such, uh, to such situations. So Montreal is really more, it was a really one-dimensional team, but now they've got, you know, a couple more strengths to their bow. Yeah, and, and one other string that I think has been very impactful, sorry, for you guys oh, no, over the no, last... no, 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 no. I'm sure I'm not the first... Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> is Costa Rican uh, Johan uh, Venegas. What has he brought to the team? I mean, obviously, Costa Rican national team player, 
talk to us a little bit about what he brings and what Red Bulls fans can expect from him as well. Well, they can expect him to skip this one because lucky for New for New York Red Bulls fans, he is with the Costa Rican national team Ugh. at the moment. So that is a very good that is very good news. Not not really because Vinegas has really taken MLS by storm by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, because that means more puzzles for Mauro Biello to solve. Uh, Venegas, you know, he, he came in a lot of uh, talk about his performances for Al Huelense, who Montreal faced in the Champions League as well. But he seems to be, you know, searching for who he truly is in MLS right now. Uh, Costa Rica can be uh, quite a physical league, so he's not, you know, he, he feels a little bit at home already. But he has to find his spot on that team, and I don't think that's happened yet. You could see in the game against Orlando, uh, you know, he, he was trying to provoke, trying to unstabilize the Orlando defense, and that was just not working. Crosses just going nowhere near where they should have gone. And him losing his cool as well when Kaka, you know, elbowed or whatever it was that he sent his arm right. into his face. So Venegas is an interesting part of this Montreal team, but not necessarily because of what he's done, maybe because of what he can do perhaps in 20, uh, 2016. Now, we, we take this back to the beginning of the year in the winter before the season started. Uh, one of the biggest trades in MLS actually involved both of these two teams with hmm. Felipe and the number one allocation spot coming to New York and the Red Bulls sending over Eric Alexander and Ambrose Ayanga, which uh, upset a, a good bit of the fan base considering Ayanga was you know, a young and up-and-comer <laughs> that they saw a lot of promise with, and Eric Alexander had sort of carved out his home with Dax in the center of the midfield. How do you uh, assess that trade you know, a couple months afterwards? Now we're, we're nearing the end of the regular season. Well, to a certain extent, I think it worked well for both teams uh, in, uh, in Felipe. Most of all, the New York Red Bulls got the kind of player that was very ready and willing to play for that particular coach in Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh was the one guy who went to it's a funny story actually he he was going uh to uh, to see an agent a player agent in uh, in Switzerland and uh, and and Jesse Marsh he he decided to go to training uh, with that agent and that agent was been pointing to him Alex who ended up playing in uh, in Chicago but Jesse Marsh was not that interested. Uh, he he was looking at this little Brazilian fellow, and the agent told him, "Yeah, well, yeah, he he's a good kid, but you know, I don't think he would make it in MLS." And fast forward three, four <laughs> years, Felipe is very much an important part of the New York Red Bulls, and Felipe and Jesse Marsh Marsh knows how to get the best out of Felipe. And of course, Sasha Klaschen is well, Sasha Klaschen. Oyongo and Alexander was a li- it was tricky for Montreal because of all the whole thing with you know the transfer saga and the contract and his agent uh, coming into play. But since he actually joined the team, he's been very good. As far as Alexander goes, I cannot for the life of me understand Montreal's plans with him. I cannot understand how you can try to try to. F- make the pieces of the puzzle fit in midfield and not have Alexander have a more defined role. He seems to be the guy you end up, you know, okay, we'll just go there. You know, we, we're lacking a guy there. Just go and do your best. Alexander has not been given a run of games to actually prove his worth. And I really liked him in New York. I thought he was very good for that team, but he just hasn't been 
able to show it from Montreal because he hasn't played that much really. But I, but he he does bring a really really solid facial hair game. <laughs> Olivia, there was a lot about Iango's lack of, shall we say, willingness to make this trade, and his team and his club team in Cameroon made all this big bluster about no, he's still ours, and this isn't exactly working. This isn't what we had in mind. Has Iango truly endeared himself to the team in the city? Does he really feel that he's fully a part of this integrated squad now? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. He is. Uh, I would think probably one of the top three, uh, you know, good locker room guys, jokesters in the locker room, uh, alongside, which may surprise you, Didier Drogba. Uh, Didier Drogba can actually come behind the cameras during a scrum and try to uh, try to make the other guy lose his concentration. Oyango has been a very good locker room guy, integrated, integrated himself really, really quickly. And, uh, and you know, he came in with saying the right things the first time that uh, reporters talked to him, how, you know, the contracts was not really up to him, and he really wanted to endear himself to, to the fan base. And he's done that. You very, very seldom hear anyone bringing that up uh, at this point of the year. Uh, because, quite frankly, sideback has been a problematic position for Montreal for so, so long. So uh, it, it's really been a, a good trade for Montreal when you look into it. Now, the Impact uh, expansion team, I believe, in 2012, so now they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of you know, engraved themselves within MLS, but how have they been accepted uh, in Montreal but, but the fan base and you know, new stadium in South Zaputo? How is that all going over there? Uh, it's funny you should ask. Uh, the, the, the year started quite strangely, actually, because uh, Joey Saputo, the owner and president uh, of the club, he, he, he invited the media to, to kind of a roundtable slash press conference where he lamented that, you know, the buzz, that was the, right. the, the buzzword for, for the whole season. The buzz for the Montreal Impact wasn't there anymore. And three months later, uh, there were 61,000 fans for the (laughs) CONCACAF Champions League final. Uh, So, I mean, Joey Saputo, to his his credit, you know, after that that game, you know, the the attendances dwindled a little bit. Uh, fair, fair amount actually, and, and but he made the right decision in finally deciding to open his checkbook and uh, get the big money uh, out of his pocket for a guy like DJ Drogba, who has been a blessing for for this market. Uh, they, I think, Mon- off the top of my head, I think Montreal have sold out every game bar one since Drogba came mm. in uh, and that was a midweek game that was one of those games that was supposed to happen in April uh, something like that so uh, Montreal the Montreal impact obviously it's a tough market because of the Montreal Canadiens uh, and you guys in New York obviously you know what it's like trying to figure out who you are in the specific market what with all those professional sports team but it, Montreal is a little bit different in the sense that you know, hockey's almost a religion, and sure. and, and the Canadians, it, it, you're just not going to overtake them. It's not even a question of, you know, maybe 50, 75 years from now, you're just not going to overtake the Montreal Canadiens. So finding their way into the market has you know, has been a struggle, but looking at stats, there was an interesting interview on sports radio recently that, you know, the Montreal Impact, there's probably one other team that's 
perhaps as we see the brackets here as important as them, and that's the Canadian Football League team, the Alouettes. And yep. and the Alouettes just haven't had a really good market share this year because one, they're really not very good, and two, people are starting to realize that MLS is a way bigger deal than the CFL ever will be. So the the market share and, and the the media space for the Montreal Impact has been really really big. I think. Right now, the Blue Jays in Toronto are making the playoffs in MLB, and throughout the summer, Montreal Impact have had 13 times their media share, something like that. So, wow. uh, so you know, things are looking up, especially with a Drogba coming in, and more and more people are really in, interested and involved in their team in, in the sense that you can hear now people calling in on call-in shows on, on the radio, and they're not just, you know, okay, is Drogba... Uh, going to be available for this Wednesday. They, you know, they can follow up on. Okay, well, you know, the the thing with Simon's daughter is that solved. They are interested in many stories at the same time uh, involving their team, which is a huge deal when you consider how this team was viewed in the market uh, several years ago. Olivier, I just want to dig a little bit deeper here. You, sure. the the team successfully generated massive crowds for those CONCACAF Champions League games in the Big O, and then seemingly when the league kind of got going, things, at least for the first half of the season before Dragwood got there, were kind of slow. Is, it, is, is Montreal a big game kind of town? I mean, the notion, for, to be perfectly honest, of a Red Bulls team selling out, for instance, for a quarterfinal CONCACAF Champions League match is, frankly, a joke. And I think it, it probably would be the same thing in a lot of MLS cities. Not obviously some, and I'm, I'm sure we know which one we're talking about, but um, what was it about those matches that was able to capture the the attention and imagination of the crowd that then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, well we have a regular season too. Oh, yeah, yeah well, whatever. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting point. And three things about this, and the first two uh, go together. One, yes, Montreal is very much, you know, an events, uh, big game kind of town where people will get their entertainment money for, for, for such games. And as well, even though they only go to soccer every once in a while for a big game, usually Montrealers are notoriously late to those events. It's like <laughs> it's like they only want to be able to say in the morning, well, yeah, I was there. I was there last <laughs> night. It was cool, but that Champions League game, you know, they really wanted. You know, the Montreal Impact had told you know people get get in early. We have this big tifo that we want to put together, and we need your help. And they did manage to get the tifo up because people showed up in time. And the third thing is Champions League. I understand that you know to, to many MLS markets it's not that big a deal, and yeah. you're not going to get good crowds. But for some reason, those midweek games in Montreal, there's just something special going into that in, in that stadium. The atmosphere is not completely different from the MLS fixtures, but there's just something in the air. People have, have really it, it's like they've grown up watching those midweek games. In the afternoon in Europe, and they want to kind of have feel that same vibe, and and you see, you just see people caring so much more. And when Montreal, you know, looked like they were putting their B even C team in, in, in the in the Canadian Championship, 
uh, under, I think it was Marco Schellmann, people were not really too impressed. Now, there were protests and, and, super, and supporters groups you know, remaining silent for some time because it meant that much more to them. So Champions League is, yeah, pretty huge deal here. And, and, and even before they made it to the final. Uh, yep. Yep. So, Olivier, we'll turn our attention to midweek at Red Bull Arena. Uh, Impact haven't quite clinched a playoff spot. They had Drogba rested up with the weekend for this match. Do you have a prediction for uh, for Wednesday night? Uh, because this is MLS, I think <laughs> that Montreal are going to get out of Red Bull Arena with a draw. Uh, you know, with with a hell, with a fully fit Drogba, rested Drogba, who played only 30 minutes, but still changed the complexion of the game when he got in in Toronto, even though he was kind of guilty on the second goal. I think Montreal can do something interesting uh, at Red Bull Arena, and you know that would be that would be just maybe a replay of what the Red Bulls did in Montreal as well. Maybe just the one-one draw, and let, that's it. Let's go home. <laughs> Olivier Trouble covers the Montreal Impact every week at MLSsoccer.com. Olivier, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, maybe we'll talk again in the postseason. I would love it. Thanks for having me, guys. We've got more Seeing Red coming up right after this. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. We've had back-to-back supersized Seeing Reds. It's getting to be that time of the season as we get near the playoffs, and we want to be able to bring you as many perspectives on the Red Bulls as we can. It's Mark Fishkin and Eric Giacometti. Our fourth segment is all about you and your emails. Here's a longtime friend of the show, Tiffany Giovia, who writes, Hi, Mark and Eric. My question is about Verone. I understand there's adjustment period for new players who move to the league, but it seems like he's really not getting game time to adjust. Do you think it's because of the chemistry of the other players that Jesse doesn't want to disturb it, or that Verone is still adjusting and we won't see a full game from him till next season? Thanks for another season of great shows. Tiffany, who's Tiffany on Twitter. Thoughts on Verone, sir? Well, I think it's a combination of the things that she mentioned. I, I do think that Jesse is being cautious with tinkering with the lineup because they have been playing pretty well. And ever since they've really solidified that midfield, uh, things have been going pretty well for the Red Bulls. So I don't think he's looking to shake things up because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, I understand he's on the DP salary, so you're wondering when is he going to get the game time. But at the age that he's at, you know, being the youngest DP in club history, I really think he's one for the future. Not to say that he doesn't have a role within this team, of course. I think that you know he's a very talented winger, and he brings a different dimension to the left wing uh, than Mike Grella does. And right now, I think that his role on this team will be coming off the bench uh, when the Red Bulls are looking for a goal, you know, trying to get a tired legs because he's got incredible pace. He's very very gifted on the ball, very quick. So I, I I wouldn't be too worried about the fact that we haven't seen a lot of Gonzalo Verón because I think part of it is the fact that he hasn't acclimated 100%. I know he's mentioned his teammates are doing a great job of making him feel welcome, but you know you come from Argentina to New York and it's a much different atmosphere, climate. You know, not speaking the language. These are all barriers that make acclimating a little bit tough. So uh, give it time. I th- like I said, I think he's really one for 2016 though. During his time on the field, there were a couple of opportunities where he used his speed to create at least a semi-breakaway, and each time he really kind of held up and waited for his teammates to get there. He didn't seem terribly confident just kind of going to goal to go and get that third goal. Um, 
you know, but again, it takes time, and it takes time to build confidence and build with your team. The good news, as we've heard, is that the team is doing just fine without having Verone in a starting role, and I think that's okay with everyone. I think this is the best of all worlds. I don't think there's a ton of pressure on Verone to produce because the team is doing so well. And uh, But I also agree that uh, come 2016, he may become a more important part of the offense. Here's TJ Peterson, who writes, Hello, Seeing Red Overlords. Thank you for keeping your fingers on the pulse of all things Metro, as always. My question has to do with manager Jesse Marsh's lineups and his style of play in a long-term lens. We all know that even we all know that even though a supporter shield win is great, MLS teams are ultimately judged on how well they play in November and December. True that. Quick cut back to March, whose high-pressing style that many critics said would too quickly tire out our team has uh, the team in a great position in October. He's done that with a great deal of squad consistency, rarely ever rotating out of other than necessary. Keeping in mind the players' fitness in the playoffs has to be great import. Do you think we'll see some players get some rest in final games of the regular season, considering first place in the East would be pretty hard to lose at this point? Or do you think Jesse Marshall continue to send out the regular 11, and we'll just have to see playing playing so frequently in a high-pressing system affects them? Thanks for your time. Now, last week... We had Luis Robles on the show, and he was very quick to point out that on the team has not the, the team's next goal is to clinch a first round bye, and they haven't done that yet. So once they do that, I'm sure the goal in terms of uh, what Jesse will have for the team is clinching first in the East. That can happen as soon as a week from tomorrow in Toronto when the team plays next because DC United will not have played a game over the weekend due to FIFA dates. So uh, should they clinch first in the East and they need four points to clinch first in the East, then you have to think with two games left, you know, is there a possibility of resting players? I, I just don't think Jesse's that kind of guy, Art. No, he's not. I, I actually asked him just this on Monday in regards to his philosophy and kind of the conundrum he faces with resting his guys up for the playoffs that they know is in the bag and, you know, making sure that people stay fresh uh, for, you know, for the playoffs and beyond. And, you know, it, it's kind of a delicate tightrope to walk there because you don't want to run your players into the ground, but you also, you know, don't want them sitting on the bench getting rusty, you know, for the biggest games of the year. Uh, a lot of the guys I've talked to say they feel as fresh as ever. They're they're a very fit team, a very young team. So if any team has the legs to handle, uh, you know, the demands of a long season and the high press, uh, this team can do it. They're they're very fit. So I I don't I don't see too much uh, rotation coming into play because again they they do have something to play for. He said it himself that we're not going to go into cruise control because there's still plenty to play for. He may have clinched a spot, but. The, the top two in the East has been their goal all along to avoid that play-in game. And, of course, yeah. the Shield is there for the taking, so they really can't sit back and rest in their laurels just yet. And with Dallas and L.A. right on their heels, it's not necessary. It, I mean, it, it would shock me if it didn't go down to at least the Philadelphia game, if not the Chicago game, in order to, to sew up the Shield, if things go their way. So, and of course, and we talked about it last week, Giovinco maybe should be away for the Wednesday encounter with Toronto, and it's possible that Bradley and Altidore will also be unavailable for the game in Toronto next Wednesday due to the, the U.S. men's national team match on the day before at Red Bull Arena. So that in a perfect world, to be able to play Toronto without Altidore, Bradley, or Giovinco, I mean... Yeah, that might help. <laughs> 
Here's Charlie Best. Based on the current playoff picture, what teams are most dangerous to the Red Bulls through the Cup Finals? We asked on Twitter earlier today, which is the playoff team you would like to play the least? And almost unanimously, you have a guess, Eric, and who they said? Uh, I'm going to go based on recent history and all that. I'm going to say New England. Absolutely. New England easily getting 80, 80 plus percent of the votes. Some people said NYCFC, oh wait, never mind. Uh, some people said, uh, uh, Pete Scanlon said Chivas USA, which I, you know, I think at this point is definitely impossible. They, they can't meet them. Someone said Orlando City, given the way that Orlando played. Um, I don't care. I just want Red Bulls to face any Western Conference teams at Andrew Sherman, of course, which can only happen in MLS Cup. Yeah, I, I think uh, at least the fans know that going up and getting a positive result up in New England is just very, very tough. Uh, what, what do you think, sir? Yeah, it's it's tough to go against New England just based on you know their history, not to mention that the 2014 playoff exit is, I'm sure, very fresh in many people's minds, so that, that lingers, puts a little fear in there. And, of course, Foxborough seems to be their house of horrors, so... Uh, a combination of all that, not to mention they are a quality side. They, they've hit some rough patches, but they always seem to play the Red Bulls tough. So uh, they, they got some some quality players uh, on the wings. They got Jermaine Jones. They got Juan Agudelo, Diego Fagundes, Lee Wynn. I mean, the list goes on. So that's a team that uh, I would look out for if I was a Red Bulls fan because they could definitely give New York some trouble. Yeah, they, they you know you know that they are itching for a matchup with New York once again. Um, Last email winner of the week is Paolo Mello, who writes, The proposals for different Red Bull holidays, St. Bradley's Day, etc., got me thinking, how about a one-time-only amnesty day <laughs> for Red Bull, for NYCFC fans who, after seeing what a really real club looks like, want to switch to the red team? <laughs> nice. Since so many of them are newbie, newbies, they obviously didn't know what they were getting themselves into by supporting the wrong team. How about we cut them some slack and give them a chance to come on over? Now, I should say that I don't care if any of them come over, and I'm not sure if any of them would, but it would be a hilarious stunt to pull. And we wouldn't even have to wait till the end of the season. I think the results already speak for themselves. I th- I'd be t- Listen, I think an all-is-forgiven day for new fans... If you've never followed MLS before this season, and if you're under the impression that MLS actually started this season, and um, you want to come on over and you know throw your... Your Man City light uh, gear on a bonfire and pledge red. I think that's a great idea. I think we can make that happen. Um, there's a lot of history here, and there's a lot of success here. Certainly over the last few years, when you look at everything that's happened. No, no MLS Cup yet, but this team's played very well for the last few years at Red Bull Arena. There's a lot to be uh, proud about. So, any thoughts, Eric? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't see why not, considering, I mean, if, if you think about it from a logistical standpoint, think about all the fans that, that left the Red Bulls for NYCFC, and I'm sure when they were just starting up, everyone was welcomed with open arms. So, if uh, more people want to jump on the bandwagon, I say, you know, the more the merrier. If uh, I'm sure some Red Bulls fans would still hold it over their heads, but maybe there could be some kind of ceremony where, you know, you, you burn a David Villa jersey and say, uh, all hell pecky or something like that, and you're, you're back in. <laughs> Come back, Tom Dixon. Uh, that comes to an end of a great seeing red. We will be back before the Red Bulls take on Toronto a week from tomorrow at BMO Field. Any quick, quick thoughts about USA and Mexico on Saturday night, sir? That's going to be a, a really tough one. It's going to be a home match that's really an away match. So it uh, t- tends to happen when you play anywhere but Columbus. So, uh, you know, that they caught a couple breaks with uh, a couple of key pieces being out for Mexico. 
Uh, I'm just, I don't have all the confidence in the world in Jurgen, so uh, I'm hoping for the best, but I'm bracing for the worst, if I'm being honest. Should, as Ferland and Donovan said, should Jurgen be let go if he loses his game? Klinsman out. Absolutely. Enough said. For Eric Giacometti and Ernesto Mata and Olivier Tremblay, we want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red. We both call it a 2-1 Red Bulls win tomorrow, 7 o'clock at MSG. If you can't make it, please do your best to find fans who will go. I know it's uh, it's short notice, but uh, the team definitely needs the home support. Um, thank you very much for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week. Good night, everyone. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com. 